Welcome everybody who's in the room here with me. Welcome to everybody who is watching online. We're excited to have you with us. I do believe that God has some encouragement and comfort for you through this message. You're going to be encouraged. You'll also be a little bit challenged. So thank you for joining us. So glad that you're here. Uh, what we're looking at is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. In fact, I believe it is one of the most powerful passages in all of Scripture. It's certainly some of the best writing of the Apostle Paul. It glorifies Jesus. It lifts him up in a way that really you don't even have to preach this passage to cause people upon hearing it to want to jump up and say hallelujah. It is awesome. We're looking at Philippians chapter 2. And of course, this is the great Christ hymn that talks about the exaltation of Jesus because of what he did for us. Paul says in Philippians 2.1, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah! Isn't that a great hymn? Isn't that a great exaltation of Jesus? It is powerful it lets us know there is no one like Jesus. Every knee will bow before Jesus. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is nobody like Jesus. But here's the crazy thing about Paul's writing of this hymn, or at least using this hymn at this particular spot in his letter to the Philippians. Paul is writing to encourage the Philippians to be like Jesus. He's writing about the church. He's writing about the Philippians. He's writing about you. You are destined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's the thrust of Paul's point here in Philippians chapter 2 to say Jesus is your goal. Being like him is your goal. When I was a brand new believer, I was still in college, and I had a job as a professor's assistant, and I helped her with editing a book that she was working on, but it came time for her to move, and she said, 
Ed, I need you to help me move on Saturday. You can just submit the hours for your work-study program. And I thought, you know, I am being paid by the college in my work-study program to serve as a teacher's assistant, not to help somebody with their personal move. That was my thinking, that that's not the purpose of the pay that I was receiving. And uh, this was a professor who was not Christian, but she was very, very spiritual. We talked about our faith all the time. She knew that I was attempting to be very serious about following Jesus, so it wasn't quite so strange that I said what I said at that point. When she said, oh, you can just write it up and send the, the hours into the college, I said, well, I can't do that. That's, you know, wrong. She said, well, that's okay. Just go ahead and do it. And I said, no, Jesus wouldn't do that. And she just looked at me with a sneer. She said, but you're not Jesus. And, oh, I felt so ashamed. Yeah, I got little shame issues that I have to work through. But, you know, I just felt really ashamed because in my mind immediately I started thinking, who am I to think that I could be like Jesus? What was I thinking? I'm crazy. But I was not crazy. And you're not crazy to understand that these things that are written about Jesus were written to encourage you to be like Jesus. It's not crazy at all. It sounds crazy, but it is God's intention that you be like him. And so that's the thrust of this passage and the first four verses really are about helping you to understand that this is how to do it this is what you must implement in order to be more like jesus so let's look at those we're going to walk through those first four verses and give a lot of attention to those in this message because that's the key that Paul is pointed to. And so in Philippians 2, verse 1, once again, Paul says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Notice all the ifs. If you have this, if you have that. Four different things there, really, if you have these things. But, you know, what Paul is really saying, before I tell you what you need to do, let me lay out some premises for that first. Let me lay out some understanding of what you have going for you before I ask you to do something that might be a little bit challenging, that might be a little bit difficult. Paul says, if you have any encouragement and if you have any comfort, you know, really, that word if is better translated here in some ways as since. Because Paul's not saying, well, if you do and you might not. He's really saying, since you have encouragement from Jesus Christ. Since you have encouragement from being united with Jesus Christ. Since you have comfort from His Spirit working in you. Since you have these things, we have encouragement and comfort through Jesus Christ. You know, there are plenty of things in this world to tear us down. Isn't that right? How many of you, you go into your workplace and it's just uplifting? You know, not everybody can have Emily's job and be my uh, executive assistant. 
and just have the uplifting environment that is created just working for me, right? I, I hope that's, there's some truth in that. Uh, but, but, you know, the world really, in so many ways, just tears us down. And, you know, it, it, it's kind of discouraging some of what we have to face and what we have to deal with in our everyday lives. And it, it's true as Christians, as the church. It's, it's sometimes very discouraging when we look at the world around us and see that, you know, things are as deteriorated as they are. You know, think about this. You know, this month, Lisa and I completed 31 years of pastoring here at Victory Church. 31 years of pastoring in the greater Philadelphia area. But don't clap because there are less people serving Jesus in Philadelphia now than when we started. Oh, that's terrible. Our church has really tremendously been blessed. We've grown a lot. But man, isn't it discouraging to think that with all that has happened in the last 30 years in the body of Christ, the family of God, the uh, experiences of renewal and refreshing, the technological advances that we have, you know, we're getting the word out technologi technologically more than we ever have, and yet less people go to church, less people follow Jesus. There's more animosity toward God now than I've seen in my entire life. And that's discouraging. That's, that, that is discouraging. We see our culture moving farther and further from values that were originally shaped by Scripture. You know, the values upon which this nation was founded were based on Scripture. Not saying that every founding father or mother was a Christian, but the values were derived from Christianity, from the Bible, and we're just moving farther and farther away from that. Not only that, man, some people, you know, Christians, some people, not, not at Victory Church, I hope, but some people think that the purpose of the teaching of God's Word, the purpose of church is to, you know, to put us in our place. Right? I mean, some people feel like if there's too much encouragement, well, that's just consumer Christianity. Folks, we need encouragement. <laughs> you know, in, in my very first church assignment, one of my churches was Duke United Methodist Church in Duke, Oklahoma. And my district superintendent had grown up in that church. And I remember him telling me one day, Ed, those people don't think they've been to church unless you stomp their toes. You know? So some people think, you know, well, you know, I haven't really heard from God unless, you know, I feel put down. That's a shame. I'm not too surprised that God raises up voices to speak particular messages. I'm not too surprised that God raises up prophetic voices to speak against injustice, amen? I'm not too surprised that God raises up voices to speak against decadence in society all around us. But why are we so surprised that God would raise up somebody who in this dark and deteriorating world would speak words of encouragement to the family of God. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we, we just love to speak against that kind of preaching, right? Why, why would we want to speak against that? We need encouragement. Encouragement comes from God. And we find it 
as it says here, in being united with Jesus. You're in Christ. And in Christ, there is encouragement. Receive it. Receive it. It's yours. Be encouraged. Do you need some, to straighten out some things in your life? Absolutely. Is your pastor, Ed Crenshaw, going to just preach encouragement, encouragement, encouragement? No, you've got to go somewhere else for that. But be glad that you have somewhere else to go for that sometimes. Be glad for encouragement because that is God's will. He wants to encourage you and He wants you to receive His love, to receive His comfort. You have these things. You have encouragement in Christ. Receive it. And then Paul's saying, now that you have it, act on it. Do something with it. Do something with it. What, what do we do? Well, let's move on to the next verse, Philippians 2, 2. Paul says, since you have all these good things, make my joy complete. I'm going to stop right there. Make my joy complete. Is Paul saying, my joy depends on what you do? No, he is not. Paul's joy comes from the same source as our encouragement and our comfort. Our joy comes from the Lord. It is a fruit of the Spirit. Our joy comes from God. We're encouraged, we are comforted, we're filled with joy because of, of Jesus' presence in our lives and what he's done for us. And Paul is fully aware of that. He wrote the verse about the fruit of the Spirit, okay? He understands that his joy comes from the Lord. He is the one who says, you know, to always rejoice. Paul knows that's from God. But he does say to the church, make my joy complete. In other words, our joy comes from God, but there are, there are things that we can do to help others experience the fullness or the completion of joy. Make my joy complete. And I want to encourage you not only to make my joy complete as you respond to the Word of God, that maybe you consider that we can make one another's joy complete. None of us is the source of somebody else's joy, but we can all do something so that through Christ we can close the gap in whatever might still be missing from our joy. Amen? There's joy in loving and serving one another, and Paul says, make my joy complete. And that's exactly how. Let's finish out the verse. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. In other words, make my joy complete by being unified. Well, didn't I just preach on unity last week? I did. I did not plan on preaching on unity this week. When I selected this passage to preach on in this sermon series on being empowered, the empowered church, empowered to serve, I had another verse from this passage in mind as the key point, as the key point to emphasize. But you can't get away from the context, and the context is be unified. Make my joy complete, Paul says, by being unified. And, you know, we just can't ignore the strong scriptural call to unity. And I believe that's part of God's agenda in this particular sermon series. And this call to unity all points back to a previous verse from chapter 1. Because this is 
a, a unity with a purpose. This is unity not just for the sake of unity. What's the purpose? We've got to go back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Do you remember from uh, verse 1 of Philippians 2, there's a therefore? Therefore? Do you know why the therefore is there? To point back to something that Paul has already said. So what is that? Philippians 1.27, whatever happens, here's the therefore, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So he's saying, live like followers of Jesus. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. So Philippians 2.2, where Paul said, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, goes back to this admonition that we stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. That is our goal, to strive together as one for the faith of of the gospel. And so in Philippians 2 2, Paul says, Make his joy complete by buying, being of the same love, one spirit, one mind, literally one love, one heart. It might remind you of a song, One love, one heart. Let's get together and feel all right. Anybody know that song? Woo! Man, that, that, that makes me feel, you know, just calm and relaxed. Makes me feel like, you know, I can just rest. This is about Paul leading us to a beautiful beach in Jamaica, right? Yeah, I, I, I would imagine, you know, Bob Marley was a spiritual guy. He wasn't a Christian. He was Rastafarian, but they used the Bible as the basis. And I am very sure in my own thinking at least, that he had this very passage in mind when he wrote that song. Because Paul's saying one love, one heart. He says one soul, one mind. And as Ben Witherington, great scholar, says what he's saying there is one heart, one love, one heart, one mind, one, one mission. You get that? that? That's the bottom line. That we're supposed to be a people of one love, one spirit and mind, one mission, which is for the glory of God, the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why, that's why we're unified, folks. It's all about Jesus. It's all about that. Now, Paul then goes on, and he mentions a couple of things that don't line up with this oneness, that don't line up with oneness of love, spirit, mind, and mission. Philippians 2, 3, the first part of that verse says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Oh, see, now I'm going to go from encouraging you to stomping on your toes a little bit. Because if we're going to have this kind of unity, man, no room for selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, the word for selfish ambition there is not just about being ambitious. It's really about being in rivalry. It's really about, you know, being in rivalry with other Christians. Sometimes it's called having a party spirit. 
but it's not just that you're wanting to join this party or this particular group or this faction within the body of Christ. It's that we have people in the family of God who sometimes want to be in competition with one another. Any, any competitive folks here? Oh, it's kind of, you know, etched into some of our personalities. Uh, but the thing is, we all in some ways want to compete for attention or compete for position or compete for influence in the family of God. Man, you know, we, we want status. We want recognition. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. What is vain conceit? The King James Version, anybody know what the King James Version translates that as? Vainglory. One word, vainglory. That's a really good translation, actually. There's only one problem with that translation. Nobody in this room, nobody watching knows what it means. <laughs> it's not a word that we use anymore. Vainglory? What, what, what is vainglory? It literally means empty glory. That's what the Greek means. Empty glory. Glory that is empty. Glory that is meaningless. Glory that once you attain it, it's not going to satisfy you. Glory that will not endure. It will not last. It won't hold you up. It is empty. It will never do for you what you think it's going to do for you. Anybody ever got in a position where you thought, if I only get there, or if I only get this thing, or if I just get this recognition, if I win this award, if I make this grade, if I get this bonus, if I get this promotion, whoo, it's going to be awesome. But sometimes... Sometimes that's favor from God, but sometimes it's vainglory. Sometimes it's just empty glory. And when it's all about ourselves, guess what? It will not satisfy you. Where do we get our encouragement and comfort? Where do we get our encouragement from? From being united in Christ. Being united with Christ. We get our glory, if there's any glory to be had, from God. Self-glory won't work. Self-glory will not get you there. It is empty. It is vain. It is, as it says in the NIV, vain conceit. And as we see, Jesus is the essence of God the Father. But he did not consider that equality with God something to be grasped, something just to be held on to. But he emptied himself. He didn't glorify himself, did he? Did Jesus glorify himself? Absolutely not. And so Paul continues. He says, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, here's the contrast. Here's your option. Selfish ambition, vain conceit, they're not options. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Wow. That's what it takes out to live out unity. To live out what Paul's saying in this passage. To live out oneness of love, oneness of spirit, oneness of mind, oneness of mission. What does it take? Value others above yourselves. Value others above yourselves. Wow! That's tough! I like the Bob Marley version. One love... One heart, 
Let's just get together and feel all right. Let's just lay on a beach in Jamaica and just love each other and just feel all right. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says, now, you want to live this out? This one love, this one heart, just sounds so good, so appealing. You want to live it out? Here's the key. Here's the key to being like Jesus. Here's the key to living out the encouragement and the comfort that you have from God. Here's what you're supposed to do with that. Not lift yourselves up, but consider others above yourselves. Value others above yourselves. That's pretty countercultural, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's not just countercultural. It is counter-human nature. It's just, that's, that's not human nature to do. To value others above yourselves, it's not easy in any culture, much less this one where we're so self-centered, so narcissistic in so many ways. You know, we talked about needing encouragement, right? We need encouragement. We're, so many people are desperate for encouragement. We need it so badly. Some of us feel so badly about ourselves, do we not? I mean, we have such low self-esteem, such shame-based ways of thinking about ourselves. Sometimes we question our own value. We question our worth. Any, anybody with me in that? You, you understand? And then Paul turns around and says, value others above yourselves. Wow. And he says, to do so in humility. In humility, value others above yourselves. You know, how do we define humility in the body of Christ today? I, I've heard this so many times. Humility is not, you know, just being down there somewhere. Humility is power under control. Anybody ever heard that one? That makes it a lot more palatable. But thing is, Paul's writing to people in a Roman setting. And the word he used here, the adjective form, the adjectival form of this word is never in Roman culture used positively. Never. Why? Because humility was not a value to be esteemed in Roman culture. Humility, that kind of humility, belonged to slaves and servants. It belonged to people who did not count. Oh my goodness. And now Paul is saying, in humility, value others above yourselves. Crazy. Just crazy. Take the position of a servant and look out for other people's interests, is what Paul's saying. Be a servant. That's what unity means. One Lord, of course. One love, one spirit, one mind, one mission. Be a servant. So you may have status in society. You may have high status. You may be highly esteemed. You may have degrees after your name. Before service, I was making Miss Brenda call me Reverend Dr. Edward Crenshaw. <laughs> Didn't really make her do that, but we were discussing that. 
You know, we, we have all kinds of accomplishments that maybe have lifted us up in the eyes of our fellow human beings. And man, you worked hard to get that status. I worked hard for that doctor designation in my title. But Paul says, in humility, value others above yourselves. Be a servant. Be a servant. You know, it's like that thing when I came home after getting my doctorate, and Lisa said, uh, Ed, you need to take out the trash. And I said, but I have a doctorate. And she said, take out the trash, doctor. No, she, <laughs> she didn't really. You know I stole that joke. And you may, this, is, this is hard for some of us because maybe you've struggled with low status in society. Maybe you've struggled with low self-esteem. You've rightly learned, as you should have learned, that Christ came to lift you up, to lift you up eternally. And that means lifting you up even now. And having learned that, you know, you might want to resist this teaching. But Paul says, consider the interests of others. Value others above yourselves. That's crazy. But Paul means it. It's for real. Men, the humility here goes along with, you know, power under control in some ways. It kind of goes along with the question that we sometimes ask ourselves, would we die for our families? Men, you'd die for your family. You'd die for your wife, right? Those of you who are married, absolutely. Tough guy. Woo! But what this question asks is not, will you die for your wife, but will you do the dishes? Oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to take out the trash. I don't want to do the dishes, you know? But that's what it's about. And that's what serving one another in the family of God is about. Made a strong case last week for, you know, doing good to all people, especially those who belong to the household of faith. And we do that with each other. And, you know, let me ask you this. Why do people get up early on a Sunday morning, arrive, you know, a half hour, and in some cases with some teams way earlier than that before anybody else gets here? And then for the next five hours in some cases... Just give that time to, that, that precious five hours of their weekend, why do they give that to the church? Why do they do that? You can look on the, uh, the uh, empowered wall if you're here in this service. You can look on the empowered wall on the back side of the wall, and uh, it'll show you a lot of reasons that people have written down right on the wall as to why they serve. A lot of good reasons. I just love to bless people. I love to see people smile. I love to give back. I love to honor God. I, I love to serve. It's because we have a whole bunch of people who really take this seriously, that they value other people. They value 
others in the family of God. You value each other. And that's so much a part of what God's plan is. That's so much about what it means to be one in love, mind, spirit, mission. We're looking out after the interests of others. They're not doing it for glory. There's not much glory in a whole lot of the serve team tasks that we accomplish every weekend, every service. Not a whole lot of glory in it, right? I mean, for some of you, you know, <laughs> serving each other in the family of God might mean changing some dirty diapers. There's no glory in that. I'm glad I'm a grandpa because I can pass the grandkid off to mom and dad, you know? There's no glory in that. Except when we babysit, then I can just pass it off to grandma. <laughs> Been a long time since I changed a diaper. No glory in that stuff, right? They're leaving the glory in the hands of God. They're leaving the glory in the hands of God. It's tough. It's self-sacrificial. It's not for vainglory. But guess what? I'm still encouraged. I'm still comforted. I'm still filled with the Spirit. I'm still filled with joy. I'm still pursuing God's call to value others, to look out for them, to serve them. Because I know that that's the way Jesus lived and that's the way he's called me to live. In that light, there, can I just say, there's no such thing as consumer Christianity. There is no such thing as consumer Christianity. Because if it's all about consuming for ourselves, it's not Christianity. Christianity means being like Christ. It means we follow Christ. And following Christ means following His example. And He did not consider glory something to be held on to for Himself, but He gave it up, took on the form of a servant. He became a servant. He became a human being and humbled Himself even to the point of death. Therefore also God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of things above the earth and on the earth and beneath the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Folks, we just got to do the work of Jesus and leave the glorifying part up to him because that's his desire, that's his goal for your life. He wants to lift you up. It's not always easy, is it? But you'll find encouragement and comfort in the Lord. He's just saying, serve me. Be like my son. Act like him. Humble yourself. Trust me to lift you up. I will give you the encouragement and the comfort you need along the way. I'll give you the empowerment. I love one of the next verses in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It's kind of a life verse for me. Paul says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. 
God is working this in me. His good pleasure is not just about fulfilling my goals or fulfilling my call or my purpose in life. It is about standing together in unity with the family of God, one love, one heart, one mind, one mission. Amen? It is about serving Jesus, and he's going to lift us up, but our joy is we get to lift up the name of Jesus in the process. Amen? I want to encourage you, be a servant, get on a serve team, do what God is calling us to do to serve one another within the family of God. And I'll tell you what, I don't believe there's any limit to what God can do through you and through our church when we'll just do this. Work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Why? We work it out. How do you work it out? You let loose what God is working in. Because God is working in you. God is working in you. Work out what God is working in. And it will be an amazing journey. Amen? Amen. Amen. Can I just speak to those who do not yet know Jesus? You don't know the fullness of his encouragement, the fullness of his comfort. And maybe you've tried to satisfy your desire for those things by going after things thinking, if I just got those, I'll feel better about myself. But you found that they are empty glory. It didn't work. Jesus works. What he's done will work. He humbled himself. He died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins so that there is nothing to stand between you and your heavenly father we simply receive it by faith it's not by our works we do all these things not in order to receive our salvation but as a response to the salvation that we've received and out of a desire to serve and follow and glorify Jesus he begins to work in you to live a life that really makes a difference. Would you receive Jesus? I want to ask anybody in the room, anybody who's watching online, if you've never received Jesus, pray this prayer from your heart and give your life over to him. I want to ask everybody who's here with me to pray it out loud and encourage those who may be praying this for the first time. Just say these words. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I believe Jesus died. He was raised from the dead. And he is the Lord. Forgive me of all my sins. Be the Lord of my life. Fill me with your presence, your encouragement, your comfort, your joy. Help me live for you. Thank you for receiving me as one of your children. I'm yours, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give praise to the Lord for those who've made that decision. You who are watching online, stay with us. Somebody's going to share with you some very important next steps. Welcome to the family of God.